You're listening to Stand Out with Ian O'Connell. Wednesday evenings from 8pm here on Radio Kerry. Now you're very welcome to the show tonight. I hope I find you well on this Wednesday evening. Before we start I just want to say a huge congratulations to the Kerry team and to all the management and selectors and everyone that goes with it. You've done the county proud on Sunday and hopefully it's the start of many trips Sam will be making home to the kingdom. I'm delighted to say that my guest this week on Stand Out with me, Ian O'Connell, is Rochelle Timothy. Rochelle played football with Roscommon until a record brain injury brought her into the world of paracycling, and she hasn't looked back since, and even qualified for the Tokyo 2020 Paralympic Games. Sit back and enjoy the show. I like to bring all my guests kind of back to the to the start of their childhood and growing up. What were you like growing up? Were you sporty before? before everything else happened and stuff? Yeah, so I was sport mad, I suppose, growing up. I played everything like soccer, Gaelic, whatever there was. I had an older brother and a younger brother, so they were into it as well. So we just always out in the garden, like kicking football, all that sort of stuff. So then during the summer, we'd just be obsessed with playing everything. Like you might have soccer one evening, Gaelic another evening. Then when I was younger, I suppose, because there wasn't many girls teams, I was playing with the lads as well. So I used to travel to like a girls team that was further away from my own club. Like, and then I play with the lads in my own club. So, yeah, I was I was definitely sport mad from the very start. Yeah. Was cycling something that you were into back then? Yeah, so I suppose I had a bike and I kind of I live way out in the countryside. Like, so I'd be cycling to my friend's house, that sort of stuff. I actually went to the community games. I think it was under 12 for cycling on grass. So I would have entered like a running and stuff like that. But then I actually just did the cycling and found that I was good at it. So, yeah, I went to the community games twice for the cycling, um, representing Roscommon or whatever. So, yeah, I suppose I was always into cycling, but I love team sports. So when I got to under 14 level or that, and when I was getting on the county team and I was playing soccer, National League, that sort of stuff, I kind of more veered towards the team sport things. And I just enjoyed, yeah, being around a team. So then the cycling kind of took the back foot. But I'd still do it like at the winter or to keep fit, that sort of thing. But I wouldn't have been racing or anything. Yeah. You played with um, Ireland, Katie McCabe. Was it under 15, 17s? Yeah, under 15, 17s. Yeah, so I played. I was on the schools team under 15. She would have been on that as well. Um, we'd be the same age. like. So, yeah, I suppose I was I was mad into soccer when I was at that standard, when I was on them teams. Um, but yeah, like to play with some of them girls, like a lot of them, like Chloe as well. You know, Claire Shine and that, they're all in the kind of international setup now, Amber Renna as well. So it's really good to see so many different girls on that team are actually gone into so many different sports. So um, Amy O'Connor was on it as well. And I know she was playing with the Cork Mogi team at the weekend. So it's kind of crazy to see. I find, I think, with the soccer, if you're good at Gaelic or Mogi or one of them sports, you kind of would have played the soccer growing up as well. So, yeah. A lot of people kind of, kind of, if they play one, they always kind of play the other, especially when they're when they're younger um, yeah, yeah. like you said there you were playing with the boys for a for a while do you think back then because i remember katie taylor she was um boxing with she kind of had to pretend she was a boy for a while when she when she first started out do you think that was more of a thing back then that girl sports yeah. wasn't as common yeah i think it was just that for me like we wouldn't have had enough to play uh, in a girls team and the lads actually let us play and I think as well if you were anyways good they wanted you to play like so from the club I'm from we would be a lower division or whatever but the lads would have loved 
to have me and two other girls playing because we would actually, do you know, we were good like and they, they didn't care that we were girls. I think when you're at under 12, under 14 level, they don't care like. And then they actually brought in a rule, I think, when I was going on to under 16 that the girls weren't allowed to play like because obviously lads were so much more physical at that age that they were saying it was a bit a bit dangerous for the girls to be playing. But I remember going to Fela. I was the only girl on the team like I played in goal for the lads. And I think I was only, I was still under 12 like, but they wanted to be on the under 14 team sort of thing. So yeah, definitely, it makes you stronger like. Um, yeah. It makes you, lads kind of look up to you a bit better as well. Like if you're able to play with the lads teams, you're obviously, you know, you're good and you're strong. And I didn't care like I'd play with anyone from having my, my older brother will be two years older. So I'd always kind of be in teams he was playing in as well. So that kind of helped. But at the time, there was no girls team. So you just went with it or you didn't play. It was, like you said, it probably stood to you, you know, as you got older playing with the boys at the start and when you when you were coming up through the through the ranks. Um, you you were no interest in hurling or anything that side of that side of stuff? No, not really. Like the nearest, or to be the nearest kind of hurling camogie. And I think, they didn't really have many camogie teams. My brother would have played hurling now, but he, he got into it when I was older, like, so I think I was gone past. I feel like it's something you need to do from when you're a kid, like, camogie or hurling-wise, just to get the skills, like, I'd be going in, I'd be missing the ball and everything, like, because I wouldn't have learned it until I was, like, 14 or whatever. So, yeah, no, but I, I can notice now with the local club, a lot are playing football with the football club, and then they're actually going up there to play the camogie, like, so it's good to see, and then I suppose they can decide what they're better at, what they prefer what their friends are doing all that so it works yeah it's good to, to have the you know to have women's teams now and the camogie and exactly, stuff yeah. um yeah. moving on then as you when you got older your your life took a a completely different turn and you you got into to paracycling and stuff do you want to bring me back to what happened and to, it's kind of a recorded brain injury and could you explain to the listeners what exactly happened yeah, so in 2016, I acquired a brain injury after having this cyber knife treatment. It was called for, we'll say, a blood vessel that I had in my brain. It wasn't causing me any trouble, but it was a hereditary condition. So my father would have had it and that, and I had lungs previously treated. So it was kind of a, a radio surgery, non-invasive. It was a one-day thing, so I just went in and got it, and I was fine after it. And then I suppose everything started to go downhill about three months, six months later. I started to kind of develop seizures, and they thought it was just epilepsy because I was kind of at that age where, you know, people would just get it for random reasons like growth spurts or, you know, adolescence kind of stuff. So then I, that kept happening. That was fine. Got that treated. And then I suppose I just kind of noticed I was weaker. So I kept hitting my right foot off the step, things like that. And I suppose for a week, really, I was getting this on and off headache. I didn't really know what it was. I was playing county at the time. And I suppose the main point for me was... I went down to county train and I was trying to run around the cone. I could run perfectly to my left, but I, I noticed I was slower to my right. And I remember just dropping out and saying, oh, I have a bit of a headache or whatever. So I went to a few different doctors, college. I was at college at the time. So I went to the college doctor. I went to like out of hours. I went to my local doctor, loads of different. But I suppose by the time I had got to them in the middle of the day, the headache had kind of gone. So it was definitely it looked like a migraine. Um, So they were treating me for migraine or whatever and sending me home. And then I suppose a week after that, I just woke up one night and I I couldn't move my right side at all and my speech was a bit slurred and uh, I suppose looking on it kind of would look like I was having a stroke or whatever so I went straight mm -hmm. to hospital and um, when I got in the the nurse long call nurse was actually had worked previously in Beaumont so she was used to neuro and she was like this is definitely neuro like so I kind of came back round but I was definitely weaker on my right side like even they get you to hold your two hands 
directly out in front of you like and one was just dropping without mm. me even realizing that was happening like that sort of stuff so got me straight in i remember them doing the scan and i was thinking oh like you know they'll do the scan and they'll tell me what's wrong and i'll fix it the ct scan or something yeah it was a as an mri so they did that and i remember like i had mris in the past like obviously before the treatment that sort of stuff so you walk out and you can see all the screens so when i walked out like that all the screens turned off and i was like that's weird and your mom was like yeah you're just going to stay here now and someone's going to come and get you so that was when they kind of put me lying down and they basically put me in the neck brace they didn't want me moving my head so what i had showed on the scan was just massive swelling over the left side so it was the front and the back and the side and the whole lot and they were saying like that that was obviously just building and building and building but because i didn't really notice that headaches or whatever but they said it was at a stage now that i could lose complete power if if it got any further so it was just a case of trying to stop that trying to stop the swelling so stayed in hospital for a couple of weeks trying to get swelling down all that sort of stuff but in my head i was so naive at the time that i thought it was like a broken ankle like you get the swelling down and you're back to normal i didn't think that whatever five years later that even though the swelling is gone this still obviously affects me day to day so yeah basically what they said to me was give it a few months give it a few months that sort of thing so different types of treatment i had chemo things like that just try to get rid of the swelling and eventually the swelling was down i remember thinking like the swelling is down why am i able to run why am i able to do stuff yeah. so that was when it kind of hit me that this is permanent like so swelling was gone but the damage was kind of done you could say so with the brain cells like they don't regenerate themselves similarly to what you might if you burn your arm or something to regrow the skin that sort of thing so the brain doesn't do that so for me initially i had to like learn different pathways so it's say for me to move my right arm, my brain has to send the signal around where the swelling was. So it's just delayed, like that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I kind of that was what happened, I suppose. And then the cycling kind of came on from that. Yeah. Was it? Um, I remember reading that um, nosebleeds and kind of spots and stuff can be a, a symptom. Did you is there is it very common to the condition? Yeah. yeah. So HHT is the condition. No, it's not like. It's not, I suppose, really life-threatening or anything. And a lot of people are walking around and have it. So the main symptoms would be, yeah, some people get nosebleeds that have red dots. But I literally had no symptoms, what my dad would. So that's kind of why I was tested in the first place. Um, it basically is extra, like, arteries and blood vessels. So we'll say your lung capacity might be down because you have extra ones. But what they do is basically just coil it off and they literally oh. evaporate away. Like So it, it is really easy treatment. It is really easy to manage. But a lot of people don't know they have it. So for me, yeah, I had no no symptoms like if i went in they wouldn't have even tested me if it wasn't for people in my family having it or whatever but really the main the main cause and why i am here i suppose is because it is so rare that the treatment wasn't really fully researched i suppose and i got the brain uh operated on whereas now and from talking to other specialist doctors it's something they wouldn't do they just monitor like so really? i suppose i was kind of just the first person thrown in and it, it didn't quite work out so people actually don't get it now um so i could say yeah at the time i was obviously very annoyed at what happened and that i was used as a guinea pig and then i couldn't play sport or whatever but i suppose looking from where i am now and you know as a professional basically getting paid to cycle my bike because of what happened i have to take the positives out of it as well so and like you said it was just at the time where when you were in the height of um sports and stuff and you were you were going so well did it take you did it take you a long time to I suppose accepted or like did it have a toll on your your mental health or anything like that oh yeah like at the start when I go and tell my story as to what happened and 
how I got back and how I got into the cycle and that sort of stuff. I never really spoke about the mental health side of it. Um, but the more I look back, the more it probably had a massive effect. So I suppose with what happened, I was always known as a footballer. Like the previous year, I had won an All-Star for Gaelic and then I had been on college's soccer team the year, that sort of thing. So really everything was in the direction of sport. You know, I was doing sports site in college. I was on a sports scholarship. And in the space of about 12 months, that was all taken away. So I think for the first six months after, I was still as part of the teams, that sort of thing. I'd go to the matches. I was still in that. And then I think the most difficult thing was when the following season started. So from everyone looking on, obviously I was sick at the time and they knew I wasn't going to play and everything's reset following season. So like WhatsApp groups, all that thing when they're meeting, they're, everyone's writing in like Snapchat groups, but which I wasn't in because I wasn't on the team anymore because I wasn't part of the team. So I think that was the most thing that impacted me. Like my friends would have all been on teams, would have played sport because that was my circle. Like that was everyone I was always with. So and then I felt like I was kind of excluded, not purposely, obviously. That's just the way it goes. Like you're on the team one year, you're not the next. So then I kind of fell out with that. I kind of found that, yeah, all I was doing was either in bed, up, eating, back to bed sort of thing. Like I had nothing to go and do. I remember the doctor saying to me, actually, like, what are your hobbies like? And I was like, sport. Literally, I had no fallback plan. I never had. Yeah. I always, from a kid, was going to do something in sport. Like I was going to work in sport. I was going to, my life was probably going to revolve around sport. And then suddenly I couldn't do it. So Is that I what brought you into the sports psychology? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that was how... I had to find another way. And there's always coaches out there who I suppose can't do. So they, I used to say as a kid, like they're coaching because they're not able to play like sort of thing, or they're no. not good enough to play. But now it's actually, I'm from the side of trying to coach and stuff because I have the experience and I can give back sort of a way. So yeah, it was all, I, my mental health definitely was like, I stopped going places. I stopped doing things. I couldn't drive. So the weakness is still there now, but obviously I have adaptations and I can drive modified care and stuff like that. But at the time I couldn't. And I was always the person who drive my friends everywhere because I wouldn't be drinking because I'd have a match the next year. I'd have training the next morning, that sort of stuff. Like, So suddenly if I was going out, I had no excuse as to why I wasn't drinking. I was 21. I was the age where you were going here, there and everywhere every weekend. Like, So I think definitely, yeah, the more I look back, the more I probably isolate myself for the year or so. And then eventually just, yeah, finished my college degree. And I think that kind of gave me the push to get back out and doing stuff and just accept that this is the way it is now. And I need to make something of it, I suppose. And it's so apparent to see like how how far you've come, even mentally, even, you know, just talking to you here now. It was at the time, it was only 30% you had in was your left leg. That is, that's got stronger now. What was your, I suppose, like your rehabilitation like? So I suppose, yeah, I was having like physio every week, every couple of days, hospital wise. So initially it was thought that I would go to Dunleary, but I suppose I was on that balance of being too good or not being bad enough, you know? So I was kind of left to just be at home, but get all the the physio I needed and that sort of thing. And I remember I was going to the same physio. They were just trying to get me walking, you know, unsupported, walking in straight line, lifting my leg enough. I was someone I didn't want to use a stick. I didn't want to not walk sort of a thing so I think for about three months my muscle memory was probably carrying me I I couldn't lift my legs properly yeah I I could do all that so yeah exactly yeah so I thought you know I'm actually strong enough they're making it worse than it is but then as the months went on lost the muscle lost I'd say I lost more power um so then I did I kind of had to you know I wore a foot splint I still do kind of for drop foot that sort of thing just it's nearly safety now that I look at it more than anything like just stopping me 
stupidly like people see me as an athlete but I could still easily if I wasn't paying attention like just trip over nothing so it is something I've kind of accepted I suppose but the physio was basically I went to there was actually physio gone on maternity leave that I was going to so I had a new physio and I walked in they obviously were getting to know me or whatever and they were like and can you tell me when you had the stroke and I was like what like I didn't have a stroke but that's just how the brain like similarly it shows like a part of my brain is damaged and this is what it looks like so we need to try and teach you a different way of doing things and yeah it took time but I was probably stubborn in that like if you tell me I can't do something I'm gonna I'm gonna do it like um but obviously there's still things day to day I wouldn't be able to do like just adaptations of the houses like takeouts people think for me it's better for me to walk down the slope but it's actually probably better for me to go stairs because if your foot is dropping you're trying to catch up like sort of a thing so yeah it's definitely things I've I wouldn't even say to people about because I think I just have them in daily going now like that sort of thing like chopping like cutting up food that sort of thing is all just adapted and you get used when you get on with it I suppose and since when that happened to you at the time say fast forward to now have you seen progression and like improvements and stuff that adapt and help you with everyday life yeah absolutely like I suppose with the cycling, I probably strengthened my body overall, like got a stronger core, that sort of stuff, which is allowing me to do daily things I wouldn't have been able to do. I think for me, if you can call it lucky, I was left handed. So it's my right side that's affected. Oh. So like I actually wasn't using my right hand as much. And I had things changed to my left hand anyway from from the way I was pure left handed. Like so, yeah, I've I've changed things. But being sporty and being active, I feel no matter like how we'll say strong or whatever you could say your disability is there's always being healthy and making your body as strong as it can be will increase your your daily living as opposed to just your sport so for me when I was cycling and that I'd always say to the physio or the SNC coach like this will improve my cycling but like I also want to do things that will improve my day-to-day so when I stop cycling or whatever I'm not just I'm not going to lose all everything I've gained like sort of thing so they're very good in that in Sport Ireland like and through the power games and stuff like that they're very good to the athletes in that I'm making you a good sports person but I'm also making it that you can do daily life as well as every able-bodied person like so and I think that balance is it's really important um we'll jump on to the paracycling now and how you got into it um it was you were you sent to like an open day when there were there was different type of sports being being shown yeah Yeah, so basically I went into my GP just like a regular checkup and she kind of said to me you know look into para sport and in my head like being a sports person being in college I knew what it was but I thought it was for people wheelchairs amputees like visually impaired they were kind of the three bases I thought it revolved around I didn't realize I qualify I suppose and she said no I'm brain injury like disability you can definitely qualify you just probably need to be put in a class that makes it fair for everyone so like there's different classes um so depending on the severity of your your impairment you'll go up or down the classes you see so, or something yeah i'm a c3 so c1 to c5 for the cycling it's different for every sport so the the ones would be the most severe and the fives would be the least so the way i look at it is ones would be very very noticeable and then fives may only be their hand or fingers even so i'm a three so i'm kind of the in between so the way it goes is like my arm and leg are affected so that and on one side of my body. So that initially puts me into the middle category. So I was kind of fairly clear cut. So some people would be in between categories. And I think that's where a bit of the problems come about where people are putting the wrong category. But for me, it was straightforward neuro. I was straight into the category. So, so yeah, I went to a cycling. I kind of looked through the sports myself. 
I obviously couldn't run that sort of thing swimming was a bit out of the question just because of the brain and I probably wasn't still stable enough you so then I said I'll... something in the pool yeah it was just with the seizures even though I hadn't had them and as well so I'd have some sensory issues so like yeah. when I touched the water first to be a bit of shaking and stuff whereas on the bike if I was warmed up I'd just get moving and there was nothing but it was just look at the draw so yeah I went down to Cork for the first bike uh, they have like a TT a time trial every month so I said I'd turn up and I went and Cahill Miller who went to the Paralympics in 2012 was there and he was just like you look sporty we like you like and I was like told him the story or whatever and he was like that's brilliant that there's not many girls in the sport that you know there's good competition it's it'll be competitive and he basically said to me like are you just doing it for fun and I said no it was the first day I was there and I was like I don't just want to cycle my bike like I want to race so I think that was the the soccer and Gaelic coming out with me like I always loved games as opposed to training that sort of thing always competitive yeah oh definitely like over everything like it could be to oh like literally to be in the front of a line for something it's just mad competitive like so it definitely was something and I did the first race and I was absolutely awful but I finished and I was like right that's the first one like I'm going to be better next time better next time I always wanted to aim for something so yeah I basically started from there and that was 2018 um yeah it was the end of 20 well middle of 2018 and basically it all just escalated from there and I went to an international competition at the end of that year and I remember like I had beaten my time by so much that I was definitely on an upward progression and I was uh, looking at girls in my category. They were that's still the way, way. realized it was for you. Yeah, kind of. But I, I remember at that competition, Chris Burns, he's another lad on the on the team with us now. And he said to me, you know, I did I did pretty well. And he was like, you know, this is the best thing that ever happened to you. Like, and I was in my head. I was like, all right, OK. But I was still thinking, no, the best thing that ever happened to me is if I got back playing football, I got back on the pitch and played in Crow Park or whatever. But then looking back now like he he was dead right like it is and it was and that was the start of it really so yeah I just kind of progressed really really fast from then I suppose you all know about Katie and Eve and and you qualify points for your country for your like we'll say male or female so they had a lot of female points qualified already at that stage so really it was to get me to a level that I could compete and get some points and that's basically what happened 2019 I was called onto the elite squad and I basically got a phone call from the coach and he just said like would you come to Mallorca next week and at that time I had like a crappy bike I had nothing and he was like I was like yeah he was like right okay so here's what you need and basically gave me a list of equipment a list of what I needed and he said you're going to have to self-fund like for to get you going because obviously you need to prove yourself before Anthony and I always look at look at anything sometimes you need to put the money in to get the money out I suppose and for me exactly, money yeah. I, di- I didn't care like so I remember saying to my parents like I'm going to New York next week or whatever and they were like right how do we do it and I had a car I'd got at that time basically put the car up in Dundee sold the car got all the equipment I needed and then the following two weeks I was gone I was in New York for five weeks and prior to that like I hadn't done more I'd say than 70 kilometers but it was track so it was short sharp stuff so it was just they were just trying to get me fit like and I was just not going to give in like so, yeah, it went from there. I got picked for the World Championships then uh, on the track. I went to to Appledorn and I literally came second last and last in some of the races. Most of the races, I suppose, but it was a start. It was it was gaining some points. It was getting me in the Ireland shirt. It was pushing on from that and it did give me a good push. And then a year after that in the 2020, which was the last competition, 
before COVID, I won a bronze medal. So in the space of a year, I had been lapped and and I suppose came last in the race. And then I was beating them girls by seconds the following year. So it just showed that this was for me. And that really gave me the, the boost and the push I needed. But yeah, I, I gave everything up, I suppose, for them two years just to give all into cycling. And obviously it paid off with uh, getting to Tokyo in the end and, you know, winning the medal internationally and stuff. So it definitely Great takes the way you can look time. back now and like see where you are at the very start and then yeah. just a few months later and stuff. I know myself in my situation, like when I was coming out from hospital, if it was only turning on a light switch, it might take 10 minutes. But I was a huge, I was hugely like my, like they say yourself, yourself's biggest critic. At the start, were you like that when you were, say, coming second last and stuff, or were you hard on yourself? Oh, definitely. Like, I, I'd always, which is a bad way to, to be, but I suppose I'd focus on what I couldn't do instead of what I could do. And I'd say, oh, I can't beat her, or I can't catch up, or I can't, whatever. And I think it took a while for me to kind of reverse that in that, yeah, I could, or I can, or it'll take time instead of trying to, you know, I was only there cycling for a year, and in my head, I was like, I'm going to win. But like, that's unrealistic. But at yeah. the same time, if I didn't aim high, I wouldn't have completed it. I wouldn't have been competitive. I wouldn't have pushed myself like. So it's a bit of both. But definitely, yeah, even after after every race, no matter how good I go, I'll say, oh, I could have done better. I should have done better. Could do this, could do that. But I think at the elite level as well, I you need to be able to finish a race and say, you gave it all. Like, So I think I'm still, I am definitely still in that progression of learning how to do that, learning how to leave it all out there. And learn how to, I suppose, compete as a solo athlete. I still have that team mentality yeah. and I perform really well, like at races and I perform well on camps because I'm surrounded by that team pushing you. So it definitely is um, the side of it that I would say I need to work on most is just getting the best out of myself while I'm on my own when there's no one looking at you sort of a thing. So. Has being in an individual sport, has it helped you in other aspects of, of life and like, say, other parts of life and like your rehab that you're doing by yourself? Yeah, it definitely has. It has. Like, I think prior, obviously, when you're in team sport, you can rely on a lot of other people. So I think for me and being in the solo sport, I needed to start being more resilient in, you know, you got to do this by yourself. And I try to get in my head that I'm doing a training session for myself to be successful, like instead of, you know, putting off the training session till later in the day or whatever, or wait until someone is around and it probably took a bit of time with with the brain injury I'd always be afraid like can I overdo it will I overdo it like could this in worse than what I had that sort of stuff but obviously that was more in my head than Anthony and eventually you get used to you know going on four hour spins five hour spins yeah. by yourself and I think it it is good because you you have to go by yourself you're not going to get back like sort of a thing so definitely it has and it's, it's made me more resilient and more to stop relying on people I suppose with a disability, people tend to, they offer help a lot, which is good and which I'd never, like some people don't want to be helped with stuff they're doing. But for me, I'm like, I do like that bit of, you know, we'll help you with this, help you with that. But then again, I want to just flick the switch from being completely reliant on other people to being able to do stuff by myself. So it definitely helped with that. Um, How important, like in today's, in today's world, how, how important is, especially cycling and stuff and when you're at such a, a high level. How important is say nutrition and rest and recovery and all that? Yeah, so it's definitely a major part of the whole thing. So I think nowadays 
a lot more sports people are, are getting into the side of it's not just about your training it's about everything you do after and before so like what you eat nutrition wise that you're fueling yourself for the next session but you're also fueling yourself for what you do like what you just done what you just lost that sort of thing and then recovery wise like for me i'm probably another extreme in that you'd see in power sport like obviously i have a neuro injury so i would um need extra sleep i need yeah. extra recovery i just need to Basically, with neuro, like you can reflect the switch by, as I say, by sleeping, oversleeping. So some days I might just need to sleep in the day for a couple of hours to get myself up and going again. Like, really? so I think it's taken me a long amount of time to realize, right, you need to rest today so that you can train tomorrow. Because if you go today, you won't be able to train for five days, like that sort of thing. So it is a bit about that. And I think for myself, and I probably haven't really said this before, but post Tokyo, I probably said yes to too many things. And I kind of, the cycling was still there, but like it wasn't getting the commitment it needed. And it wasn't, it took me a while to, to get myself back to not overdoing it. Um, so, but that, that is the way people I've spoke to other athletes and they said it's, it's normally like that. It's a bit hectic after the games, but because it's only a three year cycle now, you don't have that time to kind of let yourself go or that time to do other things. And I probably, I know that now looking back that I probably have more work to do now than if I ha hadn't done as much post games or whatever. But I think there's a good few people in the same situation. And there's a few things I need to decide as well as an athlete, like whether I'm going to still compete on the road and the track, or are you just going to focus on one, that sort of thing. So I suppose now this year, a few of the decisions have been kind of made for us. Um, we're due to go to world championships in August on the road. It's a, it's a hilly course, which doesn't suit me. Like, um, so I won't be going. And I've decided like, put all my time into the track which is in October and just you know try and try and base myself on that because I think with cycling if you try to do too much you're not going to excel in any one thing you're going to just be average at everything so it's a bit of um decision what you're going to do what's best for the team as well because you're qualifying points obviously and what's best for yourself to get the best out of yourself so yeah I think being the three years everything is fairly like hectic it's compact it's like you need to get up and going that sort of thing but i kind of like it the way like that as well because you can have a monthly aim that sort of thing so it's all about the the balance um moving on to tokyo that was obviously a huge a huge landmark you know from where you where you started now you're up in the pinnacle of of sport and stuff what was that like you you took part in was it two track and two road races there yeah so i done the four there's four events i done all four um it was for me tokyo was get as much experience as you can learn as much from everyone else but get the best out of yourself you know break your your pbs go as fast as you've ever gone and leave everything out there so i think on the track i did that you know i had personal bests the time i would have done the amount the sports progressed is crazy like if i had done the time i done in tokyo would have got me a silver in rio so like really it's just it just shows that like i came eighth so it just shows the massive like everything has pushed on everything like aerodynamics, technology, I suppose it all just has made everyone go faster. So the goal for me is, you know, I need to be going as fast as the, the fastest ones. But yeah, the two track events went really well, two top tens. So that was kind of what I was focusing on. But I think because of COVID, we didn't necessarily get the amount of practice on the track we would have hoped for. So I was 16 months where we didn't have access to a track because there's no track in Ireland. Uh, we obviously couldn't travel abroad, so that probably impacted us a little bit, which meant I put a good bit of work into the road as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see 
how we'll do going forward. You know, are we going to do the same thing? Are we going to put time into both? That sort of thing. So it definitely, I learned so much. I, I looked at the athletes who had been there before, who had been in Rio, who had been in London. And you have to do that as a, as a young athlete, as yeah. we'd say in Parasport, as a new athlete. You need to learn from the others because they have all the tricks. They have, they've done it before, you know? So yeah, it was, it was an amazing experience. It was great to be surrounded by a team of such successful athletes. Like we obviously came, the girls came home with three medals and then Gary got a bronze and Ronan, like I think Ronan just like fourth place. And he, he is, I would say the strongest person on the team, like, but he is just in such a difficult category. And like, he's gone as fast as able-bodied lads in Ireland on a bike. Like he, he did the Ross and he's just, he's something else. Like he's, he's what you want to be if you're an athlete. And I think for him to continue on to Paris is just it's just so good to get to copy him, see what he's doing, ask him what he's eating, ask him what he's doing. You learn so much from them as well. So it's just to be in a great team. It's brilliant. I'm, I'm always fascinated by by the indoor, the track, because it's like a kind of like goes up and up high, doesn't it? There's no brakes. Is yeah. there brakes on the bike either? No. So it's a, it's basically a fixed gear bike. So you pick your gear, no brakes. Uh, you can't freewheel. So if you freewheel, you go over the handbars like so in order to slow yourself down you're just like gradually slowing your pedal stroke and then to go faster, it's just whoever, whoever pedals the fastest. Like, so I think that's kind of why it probably suits me as someone with a brain injury, that sort of thing. Like there's not much thinking. You just pedal as hard and as fast as you can. Whereas on the road, sometimes you're, you're breaking, you're going into corners, you're, you're changing gear. You're doing, there's a lot more to go on. Whereas on the track, I'm just like, right, I'm going to pedal as fast and as hard as I can. And, what time that gets me it gets me like sort of a thing so that's why i like it as well you can get some serious speed and you can use the track like so it's a 45 degree angle so you swing right up to the top and you'll get the speed coming down like and really i like high? that i like yeah so it looks really high like it's actually the same angle at the top as it is to the bottom but if you look down from the top you're like oh how do you yeah. even go to that like so on training you do you need to be putting pressure on the pedals and you need to be moving at a certain speed or you'll just slip off you'll just slip down like so it is it's it's scary, but I think I like that. Like, I like the bit of fear factor, I suppose. And, you know, how fast can I go? How much can I push this? Like, how close can I go to someone without touching them? That sort of thing. Like, it, it makes you it makes you go harder and faster. And I think I, I really like it. Like, the only thing I can say is I would love if there was a track in Ireland. Obviously, it's not something that's going to happen now. But I think we have massive talent in the field of track cycling. And it just takes away a little bit when you have to... For me, it's fine. I obviously have no family, young kids or anything. I can travel to Spain here, there and everywhere. I can come back. I can go again in two weeks. But like for the ones who have families or who have kids or who are starting, you know, building houses, you're that sort of age. Like you can't be gone all the time, but you need to be if you want to do well in the sport. So I think that is costing some people. But, you know, for now, there's nothing we can do about that. Only you can do the training on the road, but it's it's just not the same. So Exactly. And like you said, it's probably only probably only a month's time and a track probably will come to yeah. Ireland. There is good for facilities in, um, in I don't know, it's Dublin, you see all the, the Olympic and Paralympic athletes yeah. training. Yeah, so it's a, the Sport Ireland Institute and it's kind of basically trying to be the centre of sport in Ireland, which is, you know, they have the swim and they have everything there. So the goal would be to get the velodrome put in there as well. But, you know, money-wise, obviously, when that's going to happen, but I think it's really good the way they do it. Like for me, I'm obviously a five hour round trip if I want to go there. But I try to go once a week and just fit everything in the one day. So as a cared athlete, 
you get access to like physio, nutrition, sports psych, oh, like SSE, all that sort of stuff is given to you. So you just try to go, I try to go and fit in like, you know, chats with all of them while I'm up there, that sort of stuff. So there definitely is a huge support network and it's, it's really, really good. Um, so yeah, I, I always say like, if you lived in Dublin, you could do that every day, but obviously where I'm living, I just, you can do it yourself as well, but it's good to have the access when you need it. Like, do you know the way you were in Tokyo now and the the weather and the humidity is obviously really different. Do you do a lot of, say, camps and trips abroad in Spain, like warm weather? Yeah, so especially prior to Tokyo, we had to do it because it was going to be like so humid, so warm. So like I had a sauna. So basically I was doing every bike session on the bike, get back in while you're still sweating, while your heart rate's still up, get into the sauna and just get used to that humidity and that heat. I think I was actually probably one of the athletes who reacted well enough to heat. Like I wouldn't be a massive sweater. So I wouldn't like, I wouldn't mind the heat, you know? So I think I probably mightn't have had as much a struggle as some people may have, but um, it definitely was acclimatization because we'd go, if we go to Mallorca, we do the track, but we'd also do the road. So you try to do the track, like whatever time of the day, but then you cycle home like midday or cycle back to the apartment midday and try to just get used to the heat. Like, but obviously, at the same time, as an athlete, you're trying to be smart. So you're getting used to the heat, which means you probably need to be drinking more. Like, obviously, nowadays, everyone knows about sun cream and all that sort of stuff. But you're sweating as well. So you're just like reapplying it. Just just being smart, like, you know, minding your your health as well, because like dehydration just happens so fast that it could affect you for days going forward. Like, so it was just all about that. But again, you're surrounded by the team there and you're seeing Ronan. OK, he has drank four bottles of two litre water it's like I need to catch up like big time or whatever so it's good to have them around you but yeah warm weather is important now this year with where Canada is obviously kind of similar to Ireland so we didn't really have to do as much preparation for that as we may have if we were somewhere else so it really does depend on the year it depends on the time of year that sort of stuff but the institute again there's a, there's a sports like physiology kind of center and they kind of work around all that and different things and they're obviously seeing other sports going to different things so they're learning from that as well but yeah it's, it's not just get on your bike and cycle i suppose it's it's everything else around it so is there one you'd pick one over the other track or road that you enjoy the most yeah i think uh, i would definitely pick pick track um again i think i didn't want to put all into track you know because you don't have the facilities and it's hard to 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 fully you know, go all in. But I think I will do road as well because, you know, I'm getting, I'll get points for the team and I'll, I'll be able to, you know, get a possibly a, a top 10. So I'd be realistic in that I'd be aiming for a top 10 on the road, whereas I could go on the track and I could aim for a top five or a medal. Like, do you know, so road wise, I think with my impairment, I think a lot of people, I try to explain that, like, if it's a flat course, I would probably do well. I can, you know, I'll hang in and then if it's a sprint, anything can happen. But like if it's a hilly course, just with my impairment, I end up pedaling with just one leg. So once oh, I hit a hill, I'm just like struggling so much to stay on. So there might be there's some girls in my category that are amputees. So they'll go up a hill the same way they go on the flat. They wouldn't have that massive difference of power, whereas I would. So I, I'd struggle with that big time. And I think um, with the way this year has gone, three of the four events have all been hilly. And so really, I've been like, you know, pushing, pushing, pushing for that top 10. It really does depend on the gradient and it depends on who you're against in your category. Some girls are really, really good in hills. They might not be as good on the flat, like. So the same as the Tour de France riders, like some of them can go up a hill and some of them can sprint, like. 
So you need to you need to focus on what you're good at. But I suppose I was thrown in as a new athlete. Try everything and see how you get on. So my progression in some sides have been a lot faster than they have in other sides. Like doesn't mean I wouldn't do it or it doesn't mean I, I'd like to progress more on the road, but it just means that like my progression mightn't be as fast or whatever. So And like you were saying, going up uphill one of your sides of the body gets I suppose tired faster, wouldn't it, than the other? Yeah, exactly. So I basically like on the flat, I could kind of carry myself, but I find once I get to a hill, my right side, my weaker side will basically switch off. So I'm nearly reliant on pushing and puddle the, pulling the pedal with my left side, whereas normally you can push with both. So I'd find as well, you do two races one day after another, or maybe a day in between. So if I had something hilly on the first day, like my good side would be like quite, quite sore going into the next stage, you know, whereas if I had a flat, I wouldn't be as fatigued. Yeah. But that's that's para sport and that's what you see with athletes and you just need to learn how how am I going to make the most out of it? You know, should I not do this t- time trial and focus on the road race? You know, you need to be smart, but um, yeah, it's definitely something. It's interesting as well because a lot of athletes in my category might be better at turning one way than the other because of their impairment. So you get to know the girls and you get to know, should I be behind this one or not? That sort of oh, thing. Yeah. Like, so it's definitely a lot more thinking than what you think. I suppose I could say so yeah it's, it, I'm still learning for sure it's all all part of it like you say and um, before we finish up what's Paris is probably obviously on your your radar already and probably has been even during Tokyo what's coming up in the the near future have you any competitions yeah so I suppose my main goal for this year will be the track world championships there in October in Paris so I have a good block now leading into them. The team, some of the team is going to the Road World Championships, which is in August. So normally there would be more of a gap. So I think you kind of needed to decide or or focus on, I suppose, one or the other. Um, so for me, yeah, I'm going to push all into the track. And for this year, it's all about just getting the points. It's about getting a higher result as you can. Progression, obviously, go faster than you went in Tokyo. And then next year again it'll be another big push for points but really the long-term goal would obviously be paris but i want to make sure that this time you know i'm going into paris as a medal contender you know i i've i've got my experience i'm learning now i i want to compete like i want to be at the top i think for me as a competitive person i don't just want to get be say oh i'm top 10 in the world that's brilliant you know i want to be you want to be better and every time i race i want to say right i left everything out there you know so yeah we'll go with track in October and then then we'll probably we'll push on for next year yeah very good and um, all the best to you in in that and uh, what's coming in the near future and stuff thanks a million for, for coming on now and I really appreciate you come on you've a you've an amazing story and thanks thanks very much now unfortunately that's all we have time for tonight I hope you all enjoyed the show and I appreciate you tuning in as always I just want to say a huge thank you to Rochelle for her time for coming on and having a chat with me this week. If you have any suggestions, questions or requests for next week's show, you can contact me through my Instagram, enoconnell321, or through my email address, ioconnell at radiocarry.ie. I hope you're all having a great week. I'll be back at the same time next Wednesday night from 8 to 9pm. Until then, stay safe and mind yourself. You're listening to Stand Out with Eno Connell. Wednesday evenings from 8pm here on Radio Carry.